Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Center Church on our virtual worship for Palm Sunday. We're really glad everybody's here. We've got a few people to bring some amazing music at a safe distance away. Um, we're, we've got you on Facebook Live. There's people watching on Zoom after the service. It'll be available on um, YouTube, on SoundCloud, if you want to hear it as a podcast. Um, Spotify, I think. So we got a lot of options, so be sure to share with your friends. Tell them to like us on Facebook or tune into those other ways so they can hear this amazing message and um, the music that we've got for you today. And stay till the end because we've got a really special song at the very end of the service, so you don't want to miss it, I promise. Um, on YouTube, also right after, and on Facebook, right after this service, we will have the children's message. So if you've got kids, have them tune in and watch that. Uh, for this Holy Week, the hardest week of all to be out of the building, we've got some things to try to stay engaged. Um, anytime you have any prayer requests, please reach out to, to be in touch with us. We want to try to stay as connected as we possibly can through this. On Thursday, Cecil's going to bring us a monologue as Simon the... Cyrene. Cyrene. Simon of Cyrene. And if you've ever seen Cecil in character, it's awesome. So don't miss it. It'll be Thursday at 7 o'clock on live. And then on Sunday, Easter Sunday, we'll have... Cecil will do a Facebook live at sunrise. So at 7 o'clock, you can... Um, have that experience as well and at 10 o'clock we'll do our Easter service the same way our youth are staying connected through zoom they meet at 4 30 today and then they've got some things on Wednesday and Thursday evenings so if you have a middle to high schooler um, get in touch with Katie and her email address is katie at centerfieldyouth.com and she'll tell you how to get connected with that as we go through all this expenses are still there so um, your tithing and giving if you're willing and able is available online at our website which is center-umc.com um, that is very much appreciated and an important part of your faith walk um, again interact with us we've got you know, comment on zoom facebook whatever just be with us sing along from your house sing in your living room you get to wear your pajamas to church so sing loud thank you for being here everybody thank you caroline and welcome uh just one other announcement i want to add that each day around 12 or a little after 12 i'm doing a facebook live devotion for about four or five minutes so you can join and uh participate in that if you'd like and i uh, just want to say Again, that we appreciate everybody being, listening and being there, friends and uh, members of church alike, and that I'm very grateful that we've had a great response, not only through giving online, but people mailing their checks in, and our financially we're in pretty good shape. So I'm thankful to God about that. So now let us pray. God, thank you for this day of Palm Sunday. We're scattered, we're in our homes, but yet we're together at this moment, as we worship, may you bless the worship. May your Holy Spirit move and in and through us so that we can give you glory and praise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let us uh, have some great music.
washing 
Reading from Luke 19, verses 28 through 40, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. After he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were set departed and found, found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. When they brought it to, then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God, joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the stones would shout out. So we'll add one other thing about the announcements on Thursday when we have our monologue. 
That will be followed by a virtual communion that the bishops instructed us on how to do. So in order to prepare for that, you need to have crackers or bread and grape juice. So on Thursday after the monologue, we will celebrate communion as a way of staying together even though we are apart. The second lesson comes from Luke 23, 44 through 46. Then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were bringing things there. And he said, it is written, my house shall be the house of prayer, but you have made it into den of robbers. Every day he was teaching in the temple. The chief priests and scribes and the leaders of the people kept looking for ways to kill him. But they did not find anything they could do for all the people were spellbound by what they heard. The word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today's two days, of course, it's Palm Sunday, and you know we miss having a whole group of people here to wave palm branches and reenact Jesus coming into Jerusalem. But it was a festive day for everyone. The whole village was the whole city was abuzz with excitement that Jesus was coming. And it was very significant. He was riding on a colt that had never been ridden. And that the people were laying the palm branches and their coats, coats down in the road before the donkey. Because those were two Old Testament symbols of what would happen when the Messiah returned. And on top of that, they were saying the things that supposed to be said when the Messiah returns. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. So here, you know, it's very clear to everybody, even the religious leaders, that the people were saying, this is the Messiah. Listen to him. But they do not like hearing that. And at the very end of this festive day, the passion begins. Jesus enters the temple. He drove out the money changers. This infuriated religious leaders, and they were double enraged. And they wanted to get Jesus out of the way as soon as they could. But because the people were spellbound, the people were there. Everywhere Jesus went, the people went. They found no way to do it easily. And the other side of what was on their mind was, if they arrested Jesus in the middle of the crowd, there could possibly be a riot. And then that would cause the Romans to send in troops to disperse the riot. That would mean that they would put other people in charge and the religious leaders would be out in the cold, as, you say, as they say. So they were waiting for a time. So we have... The festivity of Jesus being proclaimed as Messiah and the passion beginning that would lead ultimately to Jesus' death. Now what do they have in common? Well, I propose that the word love is what both has in common. Now when I was in the fifth grade, I, I was pretty introverted and shy and we sat in alphabetical order and a few seats above in front of me was a pretty little girl named Patty Buchanan and I really fell in love with her uh, weeks before this moment and I kept trying to figure out how to get up the courage to tell her how much I liked her and that I could ask her to be my girlfriend but I just couldn't do it I was just too shy well then one day I remember she had gone up to the teacher's desk for some reason and everything. And she came a long way around and came around where she could walk by me. And she smiled at me and she was said that, that she heard that I liked her. And I said, I do. And uh, she said, uh, well, let me be, let's be girlfriend and boyfriend. And of course, I was elated. 
That was on a Thursday. So we ate lunch together on Thursday, and we ate lunch together on Friday. And we had a good time talking and laughing. And uh, just I thought, well, gosh, it finally happened. I'm so happy. So we went home for the weekend. Now, at my house, you know, we weren't allowed to use the telephone because back then you just had one phone. And, and anyway, when you had two brothers and two sisters, you know, we would keep the phone tied up all the time if we were allowed to speak on it. So I just, it was a long weekend for me, but I was so happy about it and everything. But I dare not talk about it because when my brothers found out, they would uh, kid me and, and uh, tease me unmercifully. So I didn't say anything about it to anybody. So I was looking so forward to Monday. So we went back to school on Monday. I walked in expecting to see her and take up where we left off Friday. But when I walked into the room, she was sitting there chatting with a sixth grader who was very popular. And she didn't give me the time of day. <laughs> no more smiles, no more flirting, no more sitting together. My first love, my first real heartbreak. Most of you may have had situations like that in your life as a teenager or even a young adult. Romance, that kind of love. But when we talk about this story of Jesus, that's when I say love, you don't need to be thinking in those directions. This love is something that motivated Jesus to be willing even to die. And that him that we sing often during this time, what wondrous love is this, we have phrases that let us know a little bit of, of what that love is like. It, this love caused the Lord of heaven to bear the curse for our sins. This Lord came down from heaven, put away his crown and his glory and his power to save our souls. So what's the proper response? That's to sing and tell of this love beyond all measure. And because of God's love it was so great for us that Jesus even went to the cross. So those giddy feelings, those sexual urges, those things you feel for a girl or a boy, that's love, but not the kind of love that we're talking about today. Because real love is not something you feel. No, it's an attitude and a way of living. And when we need to get that clear, that real love is not a feeling, but it's an attitude and a way of living. Jesus said, no greater love can you have than to lay down your life for one another. Or in Paul, in 1 Corinthians 13, he said, love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious, it's not boastful, it's not arrogant, it's not rude. Love does not insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Then lastly, he says, love never ends. So I'm here to say this morning that love of God in Christ is the most powerful force in this world. Love of God in Christ is the most powerful force in this world. We really need to remember that all the time, but particularly in this time that we live in with the coronavirus sweeping the world and all the changes it's caused in our lives, we need to remember that God's love is more powerful than that. Part of the reason that I say this is because the word used for this type of love in Greek is agape. That's love that is freely given and doesn't demand something in return. So as we go this week, journeying to Easter, 
my hope is that you will experience this agape love in some kind of powerful way. I read a story about a theological professor and a Bible scholar, and he told about how he began his love for the Bible when he was a child. He was a family of immigrants. His grandparents immigrated from Norway to America, and they found a place in Montana to set up a farm. So the mother and father and this man and his brothers and sisters were 11 children in all. And it was a hard life. He said but his most favorite time of the day was in the evening right before bedtime. His mother would tell bedtime stories. She, he, he just loved them. She was really good with words. She was really good with expression and tone. She really, whatever story she told, she made it come alive. She would tell stories about, you know, their grandparents and immigrating stories of the family from Norway. And she would tell stories about freedom and living in a country where they could all be together. And she told lots of Bible stories. And those were his favorite stories because she would tell them from memory. She knew the Bible from Genesis to Revelations and back. She knew all the stories. And she told those stories for her children's sake. And she prayed that the Holy Spirit would use these stories to lift up their lives during the time they were living in Montana and the difficulty. Well, as he grew older, he felt a call into ministry of some sort, studying the Bible and being a professor, really. But he said he was very disappointed when he began to read those stories for himself because they didn't have a lot of stuff that his mom said they were in there. She embellished those stories. But he said he realized that even though they had extra things in there that made them more fun to listen to, she always told the story properly. She never interjected new theological concepts or anything. What the story that Jesus told, that she told them, what was in the Old Testament was all there. Why did she do that? Because she loved her children. And in spite of the adversity they faced in Montana day in and day out, it was her gift to her children because she loved them that she told them these Bible stories. I remember uh, reading a story about a professor, John Powell, at Loyola University in Chicago. And he always taught a course called Theology of Faith. This particular year, as he did in every year, he sat at his desk, and as the new students filed in, would look them over, make eye contact with them, and, and welcome them. But then came in a guy that he would soon learn to be named Tommy. He was different from all the others. He had long hair, three inches beyond his shoulder. He had tattoos on his forearms. He didn't look like the typical student that came to that Christian university. Their eyes caught each other and they blinked. It was a little hard for him to look beyond his outward appearance. He knew that it was what was on the inside that counted and not on the outside. But he couldn't quite get beyond the outside. And so in his mind, he filed him under the category of S for strange, being very strange. And 
it soon became evident that Tommy was the uh, atheist in residence in this particular theology and faith class. He would, he would question, he would argue, he would uh, make, roll his eyes at some things, he would shrug off lots of things. And particularly when he was talking about the possibility that we were loved unconditionally by God. He just couldn't accept that fact. Well, Dr. Powell said that Tommy was a serious pain in his back pew, if you know what I mean. And when it came at the end of the course and he turned in his final exam, this cynical young man, Tommy, asked, do you think I'll ever find God? And Dr. Power instantly said, no. Why not, said Tommy. I thought that was the product you were pushing here. Professor Files said, right before he left the classroom, that, Tommy, I don't think you'll find God, but I know God will find you. Tommy struggled a little bit, left the class, and left the professor's life. Uh, later he heard that Tommy graduated, and uh, he was duly grateful for that. And then he didn't hear from him for a while. But not long afterwards, he heard that Tommy had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And before the professor could seek him out, Tommy came to see him. And he walked into the middle of the office. His body was weak and wasted. He had no long hair because the chemotherapy had taken it out. And his tattoos were shriveled on his arms. But his eyes were bright and his voice was firm. He didn't really know what to say to the professor. So we asked him how he's doing. Of course, he wasn't doing well. And then he asked him, what is it like for a 24-year-old man to be facing death? Well, he said, it's like being 50, having no values or ideals, like thinking booze and drugs and women and making money were important things of life. But what I really came to see you about, Tommy said, is something that you said to me on the last day of class. I asked you if you thought I would ever find God, and you said no, which really surprised me. But then I really remembered the other thing you said, that God would find me. I've thought about that a lot. When I went to the doctors, they removed a lump from my groin and said that the cancer had metastasized and had been in some of the vital organs, and, and now it was in my lungs. They said I only have days to live. And so I really got serious about looking for God. And I started banging my fist on the bronze doors of heaven, saying, come out, I need you. But nothing happened. Did you ever try something for so long with such great effort with no success? When you do, psychologically, you're gutted, fed up with trying, and you quit. But one day I woke up, and instead of throwing a few more requests over the wall to see if God would come out to me, I just gave up. And I decided I didn't really care about God. I didn't care about afterlife 
or anything like that. I decided to spend my time I had left doing something profitable. Then I remembered another thing that you said in class. You said the essential sadness is to go through life without loving. But it would be almost equally sad to go through life and leave the world without telling those you loved that you loved them. The essential sadness is to go through life without loving. But it would be more equally sad to go through life and leave the world without telling those you loved that you loved them. So I decided to do that. Tommy says. I began with the hardest one, my dad. That day he was reading the newspaper when I approached him. I said, Dad, he said, what? Without lowering the paper. Dad, I got something really important I want to talk to you about. Well, talk. Well, I mean, it's really important. So the newspaper lowered about three inches so he could see Tommy over the newspaper. What is it? Dad, I just need to tell you, I love you. I wanted you to know that. The dad was so surprised that the whole paper fluttered down to the floor. And he got up and did two things he'd never done before. One, he hugged Tommy and he told him that he loved him. They cried. They talked. It went through almost all night long, even though his dad had to go to work. It was the best that he had felt in his life. He said the next two were easier, his mother and his brother. They two cried and they two hugged to each other and started saying nice things to each other. They shelled shared things that had been secrets in their life for many years. I was only sorry that about one thing, that I had waited so long. Here I was, just beginning to open up to the people that were actually close to me. Then one day, I turned around and God was there. He didn't come to me when I pleaded with him. I guess I was like an animal trainer holding a hoop. Come on, God, jump through it. Come on. I'll give you three days. I'll give you three weeks. Apparently, God does things in God's own way and at his own hour. But the important thing is that he was there. He found me. You were right. He found me even after I stopped looking for him. Professor was silent for a bit. Then he said, I think what's happening is God is, is not to be made the private possession or a problem solver or an instant consolation in time of need. But whether you find God or God finds you by opening to love. You know, the Apostle John says, God is love and anyone who lives in love is living with God and God is living with him. Then the professor asked him to do him a favor. After all of the grief you gave me when you were in my class, laughing, he said, if you would, would you come and speak to my class and share the story? Oh, 
I was ready to talk to you, but I don't think I'm ready for the class. Well, Tom, think about it. And when you're ready, let me know, and we'll, we'll set up a time. A few days later, he called his professor back and said, I, I'm ready. So they scheduled a date. But that date never came because Tom went on to be with his Lord as he died soon thereafter. And this professor shares his story because Tom wanted to share it. But the professor wants you to know about it. He wants the whole world to know about this student who didn't find God, but God found him because of God's great love for all of us in this world. See, God is acting forward and living out in love. Remember Jesus rode the donkey down the Mount of Olives, surrounded by the multitude. He had preached to, he had healed, he had taught. He loved with reckless abandon. He knew full well this act was irritating the religious leaders. But he didn't care. He loved those people and they expressed their love to him as they welcomed him into Jerusalem. As the week progressed, the passion unfolds. The religious leaders are more than adamant, adamant that they are going to get Jesus. And they team up with the Romans and Pilate. And they responded to Jesus by giving him the cross to protect their power, their greed, and their political positions. See, there was not a speck of love in these religious leaders for him, even though he loved them. And on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Wondrous love that would never be experienced by these leaders. Wondrous love so amazing, so divine. Wondrous love of a mother to her children, particularly this one son, to tell them Bible stories from the memory and from our heart to the power of the Holy Spirit. Love from a teacher who helped the young man be found by Jesus. Love of Jesus for all the world, including those lusting for his blood. What wondrous love is this that calls the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul. Love so amazing, love so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. During this last week of Easter, before Easter, I ask you to contemplate Jesus' love that is beyond all human measure that's offered for you and me. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
broken down and tired of living life like a merry-go-round and you can find the fighter but I see it in you so we gonna walk it out Ooh, mountains we gonna walk it out Move mountains and I'll rise up, I'll rise like the day, I'll rise up, I'll rise unafraid, I'll rise up and I'll do it a thousand times again. And I'll rise up high like the waves. I'll rise up in spite of the ache. I'll rise up and I'll do it a thousand times again.
that we have each other and for that we have each other and we will rise we will rise and we will rise up and i'll rise up i'll rise like the day Jesus died, and we wait till next Sunday, Easter Sunday, where we'll see him rise up for all of us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be safe, be hopeful, and know that God cares for you. Amen.